opportunities in Scripture. As we come to this part in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to be looking at several um, miracles. And uh, here's, the, here's the danger. When we come to stories we're familiar with, we get in a hurry. None of you guys are ever in a hurry, are you? One of my favorite things that I have left behind in California, and, and now I'll be watching my son and daughter-in-law try to leave behind, is the rush everywhere. Like, you've got to go somewhere. You've got to be somewhere. You've got to do something. You guys know they came, right? I went and got them last week. you remember? Why don't you guys all stand up? Come on, all of you. You're all stuck in family. Whenever we come to the scripture, we want to we keep that in mind. Because what happens is, familiarity breeds speed. The more familiar we are with a, a passage or a section of scripture, the faster we want to go. And the faster we go, the more we miss. And there's a guarantee way to miss stuff. That is to think you already know it. I already know this story. I heard this story 10,000 times. There's nothing in this story I haven't already heard. I hope you're wrong. Because the Word of God tells us that the Bible is living and powerful. That there's always revelation within its pages for the heart that wants to receive. Remember how Jesus cautioned us when He told us the parable of the soil. That our hearts are received. If you have ears to hear, you can hear. Remember? Well, as we look at this section of Scripture, I'm excited and and I hope that we're going to be able to bring out some incredible things for you. One of the things that we see, that I see as we work our way through the Scripture, is it describes for us the awesome power of Jesus Christ. It, it shows to us the absolute deity of Jesus Christ. And there's a four specific ways we're going to work our way through this section and look at four specific issues in regard to the power of God as He is moving and as He is working in the pages of this story. So let's take a look. The first one I want to point your attention to is the fact that Jesus, Jesus has historical power. Do you guys know that the Bible is a historical book? Yes. So a lot of people get confused with that. There's a lot of other books... There's a lot of other things out there that people can read and look at. You guys didn't know a tie was good for cleaning glasses, did you? <laughs> There's a lot of other books, but most all of those other books are not writ from a historical perspective. In other words, I go to the Bible and I read the Bible. There's places I can go. Uh, when the Bible opens up in the Gospel of Luke and it lays out for us that uh, during... Quirinius's reign, when it tells us uh, the city where Jesus was born in Bethlehem, when it lays out for us the story today in the Sea of Galilee, you know those are places you can go to. You can see. The Bible is a historical book, and the power of Jesus Christ is part of the historical record. And that's important for us if we want to be empowered by faith. You remember we talked about last time, there's a, a study called the study of epistemology. And the study of epistemology is a big long word for how we say, how is it that you can possibly know anything? And the way you can know anything is to amass before yourself as much evidence as you can 
And that evidence will not guarantee you anything. All that evidence will tell you is the probability of what's going to take place. And when you've reached the point where the probability of what's going to take place is something that you can believe in, you'll put your faith in that. Whatever it is, it's how we know all things. That's not preacher talk, that's real school. The only way for us to know, and all you can ever know is probability. So when we look at the historical record and we see the power of Jesus Christ in the historical record, it's there so that you can amass the evidence and you can look at it and say, there's a high probability that if Jesus did that, he can do this. And that equips us with faith we need to walk the life Jesus calls us to walk. So as we look at this this concept, I just want you to see some of the historical issues, the historical points. Let's look at verse 35. It says, On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude... They took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. It's interesting because a lot of times this is, this is what people's mindset is when they come to the biblical record. They come to the biblical record and they think, well, what happened was somewhere around the 4th century, the church had all these stories about Jesus that had become a variety of different legends. And they put them all together in the 4th century and that's where, what the Bible is. But the, the Bible doesn't allow you that. And I'll tell you why. Because as we look at the section that's laid out for us today, what you have written for you is an eyewitness account. And I know that because there are things within this story that we just read that don't help the story at all. They're memories. It doesn't propel us further in the storyline. It doesn't lead us into the excitement of the legend and all that that Christ does. It's... It's a memory. Here's what we know from this memory. It was in the evening. He says it happened during the evening. It says that they were crossing over to the other side. That they took with him a boat as he was. Now if you remember when we began chapter 4, it says that he began to teach them in parables. And there were so many people, it was so crowded, what did he do? He got into a boat. And so he's in the boat. Now when they tell this story, they say, well that boat left, you know, the boat that he was in. The same boat. It turned around and, and begins to leave. These are our memories that are laid out for him. Also tells us there were lots of boats with him. You know, when we look at some of these things, I just want you to see they never come up again. They're mentioned one time. Why? Because it's just like you and my, you and I sitting around talking about a memory. And when we're talking about a memory, there's certain things we remember, and when we remember them, we put them down. We share them. We talk about them. It's an eyewitness account. In fact, the professor of history at Cambridge University, when reading this account in Mark, stated that she would believe it was a legend except for all these memories that are laid out before it. We have historical record. Mark's the first gospel, the closest to the time of Christ. When it's written, the disciples are still hanging out. They're still around. They're still doing the things, reaching out to people with the love of Christ. Look at verse 37. It says, And a great windstorm arose, and waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern. That's the back of the boat. I didn't know that. Did you guys know that already? 
maybe it's bad. I was in the Marine Corps, but I didn't really care about what side was what in the boat. Now, I won't say anything derogatory about sailors right now, because I'm sure there's some with us. So I love you guys. The Navy is the taxi service for the Marine Corps. I'm going to hear about that later. But I was always in trouble if they told me on a ship, go to the stern. I'm like, I just got to wait and watch where everybody runs. Where are we going? So the stern, the stern is in the back of the boat. And he laid himself on a pillow. Again, we're looking at things that are taking place. He's in the back, asleep on a pillow. All of these things show us that there is something special about what's going on. Now today, when you and I, we pick up a, a fictional book and we read a fictional book, we're going to see those details, details like that inserted into fiction that we read today. Because today, when we write fiction, we write it different than they wrote it 2,000 years ago. So if you want to compare Mark to fiction, you have to pick up fictional writing 2,000 years ago. You can't attribute the year 2015 and the things that are written in 2015 to Mark. That's 2,000 years ago, man. They didn't write legends that way. In order for that to be a legend, it would have to go like this. That Mark miraculously wrote a book like you would have wrote 1,500 years later and then nobody ever followed suit for another 1,500 years. That doesn't make sense, does it? No, it don't make sense. It doesn't make sense because the Bible is a historical record. Oh, Jackie, come on, you're crazy. Well, okay. Do you know that they use the Bible to locate oil today? Because stories in the Bible that talk about asphalt pits and where they were located in the Bible were utilized and they went to those areas and drilled and miraculously, you know what they found? What the Bible said was there. It's a historical record. You know, the Bible's been used to locate ancient cities. When we talk about the city of Jericho. Do we know where that's at? Oh! You know where it is? Exactly where the Bible said it was. Amazing! You know that they used the Bible to locate ancient civilizations. Once upon a time, they would look at stories in the Bible and say, oh, What are they talking about? Where are these Hittites? And then somebody digging a pool in the middle of Israel somewhere, in their backyard, and they dig up a stone that says, Hey, this used to be the property of the Hittites. Okay, I'm simplifying it, but you guys get what I'm saying. They find archaeological evidence that supports the historicity of the Bible. So when we look at the power of Jesus Christ, shown to us, written for us, given to us, by eyewitness accounts, that's evidence to support your ability to know whether or not you can put your trust in this one who calls himself Jesus the Christ This is what we also see in this, in this story. We recognize that Jesus has infinite power. He can do all things. This story ought to blow you away. And if it doesn't, maybe if I can bring out a few points, it will help you to understand it. The very last thing they say in, in verse 41 is, Who is this? Who is this? Well, Jesus answered that in the verses previous to it. 
The answer is, this is someone with infinite power. For example, we're in the Sea of Galilee, right? The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. About 30 miles away from the Sea of Galilee is Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is 9,200 feet in elevation. So in a, in a space of 30 miles over the Sea of Galilee, which is a giant lake, over the Sea of Galilee, you have 10,000 feet in elevation difference. Which means that you constantly have the hot air from below sea level down at the Sea of Galilee mixing together with the cool air coming off of 10,000 feet at Mount Hermon. And what does that cause? Storms. Squalls. Every fisherman, past, present, and right now, right today, you could go down and talk to a fisherman at the Sea of Galilee and he'll tell you it's a dangerous place out here. Because a storm can come up in, in no time. And that storm can cause a lot of trouble. The boats that they were on in this story are 26 feet long. 26 feet long. It had two decks. A top deck that you could work on. A lower deck that you could sleep in or crawl under, crawl under and, be, and be in. And so as we look at this, you have this 26 and a half foot boat. Huge swells. The word used here in the scripture that says that there was a great storm is the same word we would use today to describe a hurricane. So this is brutal. This is crazy. This is big. This is huge. This is huge. So when we look at it, we see the disciples who are seasoned fishermen, right? We, we, we saw Jesus call them, right, from, from fishing, from their nets. Seasoned fishermen. They got this. In fact, when they woke up Jesus, look what the scripture says. It says, when they woke him, they said to him, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Oh, see, sometimes when we read the Bible, we forget what that means. So, Lord, don't you care? We are dying. They did not say, we're going to die. We're about to die. They said, we are dying. Seasoned fishermen, noticing the storm, the Bible tells us that the boat was filled up. So it means that the boat was so full of water that their sinking was inevitable. Any moment, bloop, we're underwater. Sometimes you guys need sound effects. I see you guys get out there. It's warm in here. Jackie's talking in that monotone voice. And i got to give you some of those sound effects sometimes. So, they're thinking that any moment, at any moment, that it's going to sink. This incredible, humongous, crazy storm. So what did Jesus do? Well, look what it says. Verse 39. He arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. It's two astonishing things that Jesus does there. First astonishing thing is that he doesn't roll up his sleeves. He doesn't pull out a wand. He doesn't use some kind of incantation. He doesn't call on a higher power. He just speaks two simple verbs. If we wanted to get a, a literal interpretation of what he is saying, he literally is laying out for us, be quiet and stay quiet. 
That's what he says. We call it peace be still. Sounds very biblical. Be quiet and stay quiet. Man, that's, that's incredible. You think about the, the, what that means. What that means. It was, it was very simple things that Jesus laid out for us. But the second astonishing thing is that the sea and the wind obeyed. Literally, when it lays out for us in this, in this section of Scripture, it says, And the wind ceased. So the wind stopped blowing. Now we know what that's like in Idaho, don't we? We practically call it a holiday when the wind stops blowing. I, I'm never excited when I go out to my front yard and whatever crazy chairs my wife has all over the lawn for decorations are all the way over in the dairy. I'm not excited. Or I go to bed at night and I hear the wind howling. Yeah, you guys know, huh? So the wind stopped. Now sometimes I've heard that happen. Have you ever been out somewhere where the wind's crazy out in the, on a lake? The wind blow and make waves all by itself. And when the wind stops, what happens? Well, the waves are still going. It takes them a while to ripple down, don't it? Especially if you're in a crazy storm. It says, the scripture tells us that the wind stopped... And there was a dead calm. What's described is that the water was like glass. When Jesus said, be quiet and stay quiet. No wind, water like glass. In every ancient culture known to mankind, The sea was the symbol of destructive forces that could not be controlled. If they wanted to talk about destructive forces that could not be controlled, they talked about the sea. And the only one in any of the ancient writings that was ever able to control the sea was God. In whatever legend they wrote, and whatever stories they talked about, the only one able to control the sea was God, is God himself. King Canute, I don't know if that's how you say it, but that's how I'm going to say it. He's a Danish king in about the 11th century. King Canute had these, had these courtiers there in, in his court, and they're telling him how great he is. And you know how people get before a king sometimes, and, and they're just blowing sunshine at him? That's a nice way to say that, right? And they're... they're, they're saying all this stuff to him and the king starts to think I think you guys think I'm divine so he said let me see if I'm divine and he walked out of the palace over to the shore and he stood on the shore and he shouted to the waves stop and they kept coming and he turned around to the courtiers and he said I'm not divine every ancient culture had that concept especially the Jews. You guys don't have it in your Bible, but I actually put it in there, typed it in for you. Second Maccabees 9.8. The book of Maccabees, 1st and 2nd Maccabees, is an apocryphal book. Maybe sometime we'll do a Saturday class on that stuff and I'll tell you all about it. But <clears throat> in the meantime, I just want to tell you, it's a, it's a historical narrative about the time of the nation of Israel between Malachi and Matthew. And it deals specifically 
with what took place with Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. So it talks about him. And then maybe it doesn't. So it doesn't mind. So let me tell you what they said. Antiochus Epiphanes is, is trying to conquer the world. Remember when Daniel tells us about Alexander the Great and his conquest. And he says Alexander the Great's going to die without any children. That's in the book of Daniel. Okay, you guys with me? And he's going to divide his kingdom into four parts. And his four generals take the four parts of the kingdom. All that stuff talked about in the hysterical... Hysterical. <coughs> Close. Historical record of the Bible. All that stuff laid out for us in the historical record of the Bible. Well, Antiochus Epiphanes is one of those that comes up through those kings. And as he's trying to conquer one of the other kings, he goes over there and he just gets his tail and whooped. He gets beat real bad. So about the time he loses this battle, he hears that the people in Jerusalem are, are rebelling against him. So he decides he's going to go get them. Now he called himself, he gave himself the name Epiphany. Antiochus Epiphany. They, 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 it's, a, it's a divine title. That like he's God. And he thought about himself like God and he did all this crazy stuff. In fact, Jesus uh, points to him, Daniel points to him as a picture of the Antichrist. And Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, run. So he's pointing back to something that Antiochus did. Well, 2 Maccabees 9.8 says this, On the way back, as, as Antiochus is coming back to Jerusalem, he's in a rush, he's in a hurry, and, he, and he's not going to give his horse any rest, he's not going to stop, he's ride, 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 and, and he gets so tired he can't hang on to the chariot, and he falls out of the chariot and gets wadded up. And he gets so banged up, they have to put Antiochus Epiphanes in a litter. And, and carry him the rest of the way to Jerusalem. And so in 2 Maccabees 9.8, this is what it says. Thus, he who only a little while before had thought in his superhuman arrogance that he could command the waves of the sea and imagined that he could weigh the high mountains in a balance was brought down to earth and carried in a litter, making the power of God manifest to all. Every ancient culture saw the control of the sea as divine. You and I, we can't do that. We can pray, ask God to do it. But we can't do it. But Jesus did. He spoke the words, be quiet and stay quiet. There's a guy who wrote a book called The Good Man is Hard to Find. Uh, Flannery O'Connor. And in this book, there are two characters, Grandma and Misfit. Grandma and Misfit. Don't read this book. It's not a good book, but he said something that I can use, so I'm going to pull it out of the book. It's, it's, Misfit is a story about Misfit who has all these little quirky sayings every time he murders somebody. And he, he does all these murders. But one time... He says this, and this is why I wanted to bring it up. One time he says this. He says, Jesus has thrown everything out of whack. Why? Remember? He has historical power. It's in the historical record. He stopped the waves of the sea. He said some incredible things. If he is who he said he is, 
then he has thrown everything out of whack. Nothing makes sense anymore if, if this is true. Look, either the world is a result of the storm. Well, I don't care what you call it. The Big Bang. Make, it, make yourself happy. Call it whatever you want. But in essence, it's natural forces coming together, banging against each other, and out pops everything that we know. If this is... that You have two choices. Either God did it or that happened. And in the historical record, in the historical record, in the Bible, we see eyewitness accounts of the power of Jesus Christ calming the storm. Either we're all here by accident, blind forces of nature banging into one another. We're here just because of the storm. And when we die, nobody's ever going to remember us. It doesn't matter how I live, and there's no greater purpose. I'm caused by the storm. Or, Jesus is the Lord of the storms. And if Jesus is the Lord of the storms, then there is safety and meaning in life. There's a purpose. That's why Jesus has thrown everything out of whack. Because you are faced with a decision. You have to make a decision about Him. You can throw it all out. But we have to understand what it is that we're throwing out. If He did what He said He did, then it's only logical to give everything over to Him. If that's true, that story we just read, then it only makes sense to give everything over to Jesus Christ. Well, there's another thing. The third thing the third thing we want to see about the power of Jesus Christ is the part that most people have a problem with. The power of Jesus Christ is unmanageable. You can't manage it. He doesn't follow your orders. It's kind of an important concept to get. We see it when we look at the disciples in the story. Look at verse 37. During the storm, they're terrified. After the storm, they're more terrified. Read it. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. And he was in the stern asleep on a pillow and they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care? We're dying. So the first question <clears throat> they're asking, Don't you care? Jesus, don't you care about me? Anybody ever said that? God, don't you care what's happening in my life? That's where the disciples were. They were afraid of their circumstances and what was going on around them. They're saying the, the boat's filling up with water and we're going to sink and we're going to die. And they're panicked. So they say to Jesus, you don't care about me. I'm sinking and you don't care. Everything in my life is going wrong and you don't care. If you really loved me, you wouldn't let this happen to me. You don't care about me. We are going to die. If you really loved me, there wouldn't be any storms in this life. That's where the disciples are at in the beginning. But then Jesus calms the storm. Look at verse 40. He said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. 
and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Do you look what Jesus said to them? He says, Be quiet and stay quiet. The wind stops, the sea turns to glass. The boat's still full of water, but it's not going to sink. No more water's coming in. They'll be able to catch up, bailing. And Jesus looks to the guys who were just panicked, who are really freaking out now. And he says, why were you afraid? The power of Jesus Christ is part of the historical record. Wasn't it part of the historical record for the disciples? They hadn't seen him do anything yet? Hadn't they seen him raise the dead? Hadn't they seen him cure the lame? Hadn't they seen him cleanse the leper? Hadn't they seen the power of God flowing through the hands of the Messiah? So Jesus said, why were you afraid? The evidence of who I am is right there. And what did I say to you when we started today? Let's go to the other side. I didn't say let's go to the middle and drown. I said let's go to the other side. When we look at the storm, ultimately what Jesus is saying to the disciples, you don't have any right to panic. Trust me. You don't have any right to panic. Trust me. When we look at the storm, I just want you to see the idea the storm has infinite power. And you can't control the storm. Can you stop a storm? The storm's blowing, the storms of life, things that go crazy in life. We don't have any control over that. Control is an illusion for humankind. You have no control. You're absolutely positive that today is going to end like every other Sunday did before, but you have absolutely no guarantee that that's true. None whatsoever. And we all know people who started their day thinking it was going to end one way and were surprised to see it end another. We've all seen that in life. The storm is, is uncontrollable. The storm is, is, is infinitely powerful. But Jesus has infinitely more power. And you can't control Him either. So what's the difference? Between the storm and all the power of the storm that's wrecking life. And God, who has all the power to stop the storm. But you can't control Him. Do you know the difference? The storm don't love you. But Jesus does. Sometimes he lets things happen we don't understand. Sometimes he allows things to to happen that don't go according to plan. Sometimes the wind and the waves blow and howl and horrible things happen. And he hasn't moved and he hasn't stopped and he hasn't done anything But the difference between Jesus Christ and the storm is that Jesus loves you. And because Jesus loves you, that makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. 
This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. If you knew that I really love you, then you will have calm in the storm. If you really know how much I love you, you will have calm in the storm. It's the infinite power of God. Because God can love someone and allow bad things to happen in their life. Because He is God. And He knows better than you. He knows better than me. Listen, if God is great enough and powerful enough and infinite enough for you to be mad at because He hasn't stopped the storm in your life, then the other is also true. That He's big enough and powerful enough and infinite enough to know more about the storm than you know. If He's big enough for you to be mad at, He's big enough to know more than you do. If He's infinite and He's powerful... But he is not controllable. Mankind does not control him. We can't have it both ways. You guys know Elizabeth Elliot? Her husband was one of the missionaries that was killed in 1958 in, uh, where is it, Brazil? Brazil doesn't seem right. Peru? Ecuador. It's all in the same area. If you guys look at a map, you'll see. So it was in Ecuador. And uh, remember, they were reaching out to the Aka Indians. And as they're reaching out to the Aka Indians, something goes wrong. They made a movie about it a few years ago, right? Tip of the Spear. And the tip of the spear, every one of those missionaries were killed. All the men. And the women went back into the village, the Aka village, and shared, continued to share Jesus Christ with them. And every member of that village got saved. The missionaries who died had guns. The guys who killed them had spears and sticks. Could have shot them all. And went home to be with their families. But they tell their children before they go. When their child says, Daddy, will you use that gun if they try to hurt you? Dad says, they don't know the infinite power of Jesus Christ. I do. I'll be okay. They won't. I'll use it to try to scare them away, but I won't shoot them. Every one of them got killed. And their wives and children went and lived with the very people who killed their fathers and husbands. And the result was, the whole village is saved. Elizabeth Elliot wrote a book about it. Beyond the Gates of Splendor. Incredible book. That's a good one to read. She has this to say. Elizabeth Elliot has this quote. Let me share it with you. God is God. And since He is God, He is worthy of my worship and my service. I will find rest nowhere else but in His will. And that will is necessarily, infinitely, unspeakably beyond my largest notion of what He is up to. You get what she's saying? The best place for me to be is in the will of God. That's where I need to be. But it's beyond my ability to understand what God is doing in His will. But what has she done? 
She's taken the historical record of the power of God that she's seen through the pages of Scripture. She's understanding that Jesus loves her. And she's saying, look, I trust Him. I got two choices. Live my life for the storm or live my life for Jesus Christ. That's it. The storm hates you. Jesus loves you. And one isn't an escape route from every hard thing in life. It's just a promise to have the God who loves you working in your life. The only safe place for us to be is in the will of God. When I look at this story, it reminds me of Jonah. I don't know if it reminds you guys of Jonah, but I find some interesting parallels. Let me bring those together for you so you can see them. When we talk about Jonah and Jesus, Jesus and Jonah were both out at sea in a boat. Right? So they're both out at sea in a boat. Both are overtaken by a storm. Right? Same word. Literally used for the storm in both stories. They're both overtaken by the storm. Jesus and Jonah are both asleep during the storm. Right? They're both sleeping. The sailors in both stories come to the one who's sleeping. And wake them up, rebuking them, saying, Don't you care, we're perishing. Do something. Similar, right? In both cases, there's a miraculous intervention of God Almighty and the sea is calmed. In both stories, the sailors are more freaked out after the sea is calmed than they were during the storm. That's kind of amazing when you think about all that stuff. There's one difference. Or maybe we think there is. Jonah had to die to stop the storm. What did he tell him to do? Throw me in the water. Throw me in the water. What happened then? Big fish ate him, right? It's not a good day. (laughs) You guys know Jesus talked about that, right? He said, a wicked and adulterous generation looks after a sign and only one will be given. The sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the bowels of the earth. But do you know what Jesus said next? In Matthew 12, 41, Jesus said, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. I think Mark is telling us to take a look at both of these stories. Because both of these stories aren't all that much different from one another. Well, in this particular story, Jesus just says the word. Peace be still, be quiet and stay quiet, and the storm ends, the storm stops. But if we continue in the story, we know more than that, don't we? Jesus said, I am going to calm all storms. I will still every wave. I'm going to destroy destruction. I'm going to break brokenness. I'm going to kill death. All storms, every storms will be gone forever. He has unmanageable power 
But the last thing about Jesus' power we want to look at is His power is costly. See, His ability to kill every storm, to quiet everything in life, came at the price of the cross. Jesus Christ rode out the ultimate storm. He was under the ultimate waves and the waves of sin and death. There's really, in life, only one storm that can sink us, and that's the storm of eternal justice. When you stand before a holy God, a holy God written about in a historical record in a book we call the Bible, with historical places, with historical power, with historical evidence, we look at that and we see that and we, we come to understand that that's, uh, that's the storm. And Jesus was thrown in the path of that storm for us. He didn't flinch. He was demolished. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. To the degree that you know this. That you understand that this concept of Jesus dying for you is burned into the center of your being. To the degree that you understand these things, then you will know He cares for you. And you will not say, Lord, don't you care, I'm dying. You won't be able to say it. Jesus gave it all for us. John Newton wrote these words. I just want to share them with you. His love in time past forbids me to think. He'll leave me at last in troubles to sink. By prayer let me wrestle. And he will perform with Christ in the vessel. I will smile in the storm. When we say, where are you, Jesus? Where are you in my greatest time of need? I have this horrible thing going on in my life and you weren't there. We might say that. But do you ever think about what Jesus could say? Do you ever think about the words that he might utter? He might say, I never fell asleep on you. But you fell asleep on me. He might say, in the garden, my disciples couldn't stay awake for one hour, and they represent the human race. He might say, you've been asleep all your life. You've been asleep when all the things that I did for you was being done. He could say this, To every one of us in this room. But he loves us anyway. And that's an important thing for us to understand as we look at the story laid out before us. Look. Jesus is saying, my power is historical. It's a matter of record. It's in the book on your lap. There's no other book like it. We can go look at all those places where all those stories happened. 
and touch the rocks, hold the sand, see the salt. It's all there, just like it says. He says, my power is infinite. I can do all things. And then he gives that same promise to us, doesn't he? I can do all things, how? Through Christ who strengthens me. He says, my power is unmanageable. I am not under your control. God doesn't always do what you think He should in every situation. He's not under your control. God is not safe. But He is good. There's a difference. He is infinitely good. He says, my power is costly. I gave it all for you. And this power of God is completely and utterly and totally at your service. So when we come to the end of this section, it says, But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Do you hear what he's saying? Where is your faith? Where is your faith? The only way we can know anything is to amass before us all the evidence that we have. And we weigh out the probabilities. And we step out in faith and say, I will trust in you. Only two choices. And the storm has no mercy. God does. The storm offers no promise. But God does. The reconciliation of all things is only experienced in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who is this man, they said. Who is this man who can do this? Well, they know. There's only one person he can be. This is God Almighty. Sitting in a boat beside us. That's God Almighty riding shotgun in your car as you're going down the road. Whispering in your ear. Watching over you. That's God Almighty getting you through the storm. Giving you the strength you need to go one more day when you're pretty sure you can't have any more strength to do it. That's God Almighty. He loves us. Anyway. We all failed Him. We all fall short. But He is infinitely able. He is historically powerful. He is impossibly unmanageable. He will do the craziest things. Which includes coming here to die for me and you. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me and let's pray.